Hey there, Bellator Colloquium listeners. Our normal podcast episode will be up in just a few seconds, but we wanted to give you the heads up that this episode contains some sensitive content. So if you have little listeners joining you, or maybe you're listening among others who may overhear it, we would just ask that you pause it here or put in some earbuds or earphones as you decide if it's appropriate to share. That's it. Here's the episode. This is Bellator Colloquium, a podcast of the Bellator Society. Bellator in Latin means warrior, and a colloquium is a conversation. We at the Bellator Society are online warriors for the true, good, and beautiful, and this podcast is our conversation about all those things and so much more. Meet us here weekly at Bellator Colloquium and at bellatorsociety.com for content that will hopefully lift you, inspire you, comfort you, and make you feel a part of our Bellator Society. Good morning, friends and warriors, and welcome to the podcast. This is Tracy Eddy, and I'm in Scottsdale, Arizona. And of course, I have my wonderful co-host and co-founder, Fran Yeager, in Nashville, Tennessee. Hello, Fran. Hello, my friend. How are you? I'm doing very, very well. Thank you. How are you? I am well. I am well. I am. I feel like 2020 has started off with a bang. Yeah. So I'm, I'm good. And now we're in ordinary time. Yes. And my Christmas <laughs> decorations are finally put up. It's all good. The glitter is gone. Jesus, yep. Baby Jesus is back in the storage shed. Yeah. <laughs> it's a well, thing. It's a real it's, thing. It is a thing. Well, we are so excited today because we have a guest um, and she is a contributor of ours, and she's this darling 20-something-year-old newlywed that lives in Denver, Colorado, which, by the way, I don't know if you know, but I used to live in Denver, Colorado, too. So um, I love that. Anyways, she, like I said, she's newly married, and she works in um, Catholic sexual ethics. So that's her specialty, and her um, fertility awareness is a, a field that she's passionate about, Um and so we would like to welcome you, Forrest Barnett. Hello. And she also, okay, a couple other things about Forrest. She's got, well, she lives obviously with her new husband, but she has pets. <laughs> and they are, tell us about your pets. They're ferrets, which are like <laughs> the best animal you can have besides really? like a narwhal. A yeah. <laughs> they're, they're great. They're the perfect mix between a cat and a dog. Are they cuddly? Uh-huh. Sometimes when they get older, they are. I have one cuddly of my three. I, one of them is pretty cuddly. <laughs> Do they stay in cages? Yeah. I, well, when I live by myself, I let them run around my living room um, because the more room they have, the less bad they behave. Like they'll, they're like kids, right? right? If you yeah. don't run them, they misbehave. Um, but now my husband, we found out the hard way that he's allergic. So yes, wow. they have a, their own little area on our porch that's heated and insulated and everything. Oh, poor husband, poor ferrets, but sounds like they're living a pretty good life. Yeah. <laughs> well, welcome. We are so happy you're here with us. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Thank so you. we asked Forrest especially to be on this podcast with us because um, she is a millennial voice. Is that okay for me to say? Can oh I say yeah, that you're a millennial voice. Yeah, yes. yeah. I want the I want everyone to know that, but I want to know that I want people to know that I'm saying it from like a place of affection because I <laughs> actually heard you give a talk about how to appeal to millennials, how to talk to them effectively, and because you're an expert in it, like you are one, and you've actually studied this thing. And we had an um an event or a little thing in pop culture pop up over the weekend that got my blood a little boiling, mm-hmm. and I was like, I need to talk about this with somebody I know who we need to talk to we need to talk to Forrest (laughs) and the thing that happened was for anyone who just going to get everybody up to speed the Golden Globes were this past weekend Mm -hmm. the Golden Globes are the uh, Hollywood Foreign Press Association's uh, award ceremony and it's super fun everybody dresses up beautifully all of the celebrities sit around, you know, round tables, and it looks like everybody's having just like a fabulous time. And um, at this particular uh, Golden Globes, uh, one of the award recipients was Michelle Williams of Dawson's Creek fame. <laughs> Forrest, you're, Forrest, do you're you not know a millennial. What that means? 
I know what Dawson's Creek is, and I know the theme song, but that's okay. good. Okay, that's good. That's good. I like it. Um, you know, she's obviously done much more since then and has really, you know, has so much credibility as an actor. Um, and so she won as female actor for a new series on uh, uh, Bob Fosse and Gwen Verdon. And... Um, she gave her acceptance speech and this acceptance speech was obviously prepared. Um, it was evident that she had prepared for the delivery and she had, uh, she had an agenda. She had something that she wanted to talk about. Um, would anyone else like to introduce the, the context for what she was telling the world from her platform? Well, Forrest is taking a sip from her really <laughs> coffee mug with uh, Carol Waltia. Right. <laughs> his beanie and his black yeah. glasses. So <laughs> you caught her. You caught her. Yeah, mid-tank. I did. Yeah. Sorry about that. So she, um, she got up there and, and basically said that the reason she was able to be successful in her field was because she, um, quote, employed a woman's right to choose. Um, And she never directly said she had an abortion, but the wording there kind of leads one to believe that that was the case, although she currently has two children that are living. Right. Yeah. One one in utero, we might add. Yeah, she's pregnant. (laughs) So, you know, three kids then? I don't know. I think she had one daughter, Matilda, with, um, oh gosh. Heath Ledger, thank you. And then she's preg- newly pregnant with a new baby. So two children, you're correct, but one in utero alive. I did not know Heath Ledger sired any children. Really? Yes. Yeah, I, I don't know. He, yeah, I don't know. I'm just not. I don't really, honestly, when That's it That's actually to good for stuff, you. I don't care. Zero <laughs> good kids. for you. <laughs> okay, so so she didn't, She you're right. She did not explicitly say that she, um, that she uh, had an abortion, but it was pretty obvious that that's what she meant or a lot of people read into that that that's what she meant and so um the the left cheer they were really excited they're the feminist um camp was excited that she could stand on that platform and talk about how important it is um to have that right to choose to live the life that you want to live to create your own life and then obviously women like us on um the you know the pro-life side of of women's issues had a different take on it. <laughs> right. You know. And I want to jump in here real fast and say that culturally speaking, as Americans, we actually do value making our own choices and sort of that, you know, get yourself up by your own bootstraps mentality. I mean, that's thoroughly right. American. So, right. um, you know, we all kind of have that in our blood. Uh, but again, just as you said, like it was very, while she may have been speaking cryptically or in code with a woman's right to choose, uh, you know, a quick Google search will tell us that a woman's right to choose means abortion. It just right. does. Yeah. Um, and yeah. that's where I think that's where things got a little controversial, not a little controversial, a lot controversial in what yeah. she was saying. I mean, uh, you know, so first of all, I wanna, first, I want to say let's not even go into the abortion stuff first. Let's let's like go straight to her words maybe and like really tease out the stuff that she said in her own words, because I think that it is just like rich with content for us to talk about. And the first one that I really wanted to talk about was, um, after she did all of her thank yous, she was acknowledging that, um, you know, when you receive an award, basically, well, she was saying that when you receive an award, it means that people are acknowledging all the choices that you make in your life, whether they be professional or educational or what, I mean, number one, really, Really? Yeah, exactly. When no. you get an award, does that mean that I really like you went to that college? No. I mean, no. I don't care. Yeah. Your award was that one moment in time that you gave a brilliant performance yes. in whatever you performed in and the crowds loved it. And, but yeah, I don't, I don't care what choices you made or, or, and I'm not right. condoning the choices you've made yeah. in your life either. Right. It's yes. not an affirmation. And she was saying, you know, this is an acknowledgement of all the choices that I've made. And and quote, unquote, she says, I'm also grateful to have lived at a moment in our society where choice is, exists, because as women and girls, things can happen to our bodies that are not our choice. Huh? So I, I've, I've heard people read that and respond that it seems likely that she had been assaulted or molested or even raped in the past, which would have been her reason for getting the abortion. But I don't know, and I haven't heard of anyone who has anything to say about that for sure. Right. Absolutely. I mean, again, I think we're all women here, and we are not so glib as to misunderstand that um, – uh, 
rape related pregnancy is a big deal and it happens. It's a reality. It is a violence against women. It is a violence against even the unborn who are conceived in the act of rape. Actually. I mean, there are things that, that they are now at risk for like death as related to the, related to the rape. Right. So, I mean, there are victims all over who are suffering terribly because of uh, rape related pregnancies. And we don't want to gloss over that, but she didn't say that. That's true. She didn't say that. She just said that there are things that happen to women and girls' bodies that um, we don't have control over or that that are not our choice. And taking just her words at face value, I mean, like right. there's stuff that happens to my body all the time. I'm not choosing for my heart to beat right now. You know, yeah. my, I have a sympathetic nervous system that does stuff when I'm scared or stressed out that I don't have a choice about. And I don't think that's what she's saying either. I don't, I don't want to no. create a straw man. I mean... <laughs> Yeah, I, I think she's saying that she, if if barring the possibility of something like a rape, she made an action that she did not intend a result to come from, and therefore the body did something that she didn't choose. Right. Right. Exactly. And I think this, as Catholics, I, I mean, really just as rational thinking human beings, is the argument that we're going to have to be prepared to address yeah. in, in in the wider culture, right? Because there is this weird idea that we are supposed to be able to engage in sexual behaviors, and yet the natural consequences are not our choice. Yeah. 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 It's so... So what do we do with that? How do we even talk about that effectively in the world? I'll let you go. <laughs> it's hard. I was going to let you go. Well, it's... I think I think my two cents is what I think what got my goat so much about this speech is here is this very privileged, very well off, very an educated woman who her own she acts like the only option she had was you know abortion and. Assuming that's what she meant, which that certainly does did that was the tone, that was the feel, what she what how she, you know, delivered her remarks. And it's so offensive to those mm-hmm. who maybe are struggling with I mean, in Catholic teaching abortion is always wrong. So, mm-hmm. you know, and we're I'm we're not gonna we're not gonna get gray and in, in, in the circumstances, right. Totally. We we follow church teaching. But you can have a sympathetic heart for a woman who has been raped, who is struggling with this, or for a woman who's been kicked out of her house because, um, you know, her parents are, um, you know, not compassionate. So you you can you can see where like people do struggle with this. But for a woman of severe financial means, who does live the life she wants, who can have help, who can employ the you know adoption. I mean, there's so many options that she has. Yet she stands on a platform. And, and, you know, cheers herself on as though she made a strong and brave and, mm-hmm. you know, feminist choice so that she could make another movie. I mean, right. th- th- to me, that just reeks of like, ugh. And I think what bothers me about it is, like you said, a feminist choice, which would imply that it would be pro-woman right. to have an abortion. And indeed, that's the language we hear, right? We always right. hear your your anti-abortion, which makes you anti-woman. Yeah. But how is it the case that by forcing women's bodies to behave like the bodies of men, we're somehow being pro-woman? Yeah. Wouldn't it be more pro-woman to embrace this unique power that our bodies as women have that men do not have? Mm-hmm. And to harness that and show how much the feminine genius, right? To show the feminine genius and how women, despite, you know, maybe having a crisis pregnancy can still overcome it without trying to become like a man to fit into a certain career. Yes, a hundred percent. I love that. I absolutely love that. And, you know, again, just that... The, the recognition that we actually do have, we, we're making choices all the time that affect our, our well, just have natural consequences and affect us. You know, you know, I tell my four-year-old all the time that if he runs and isn't looking where he's going, he's going to get hurt, right? And that's a truth. It's just a truth. It's, and, and when he gets hurt, it's a natural consequence of his behavior. And he understands that at four years old. And yet we're, even now we're making laws, and I would say very good laws, um, about what a person can do with their hands when they're driving a car. 
right? <laughs> exactly. And I think those are yeah. good laws, but they still infringe on a person's choice about what to do with their body, you know, um, because the things we freely to do choose to do have consequences that we may not prefer. And so I think that this, you know, things happen to our body message is is such a lie, or at least it's disingenuous. You know, I'm a natural family planning teacher, and I know it, um, that Forrest, you you promote natural family planning as mm-hmm. well, you know, in, in addition. Um, but I, it's so sad how impoverished women are about their natural physiology and their biology. Yeah. I was recently really going on. Yeah, I was recently at um, the Focus SLS conference, um, and the reason that I was there was I was an organization that's encouraging, among other things, um, young girls to learn about their bodies beyond just what is a period and when does it happen, but all the other intricate goings on that occur within their bodies and how it doesn't just impact what's in their, you know, like in their belly, it impacts everything. And we had a trivia game to like kind of break the ice and encourage the kids to talk to us. And I was amazed at how many girls had no idea about basic biology, not even like the interactions of hormones, which a lot of people don't know, but things like what part of the female body produces eggs. Mm-hmm. And we got cervix as an answer <sighs> all the time. Oh, no. It This is stuff that not just like women should know because they should be responsible. They deserve the knowledge. Absolutely. And I'll say, you know, as again, teaching natural family planning to women who are mostly highly educated, intelligent human beings. I mean, you know, I'm not going into, you know, uneducated parts of the world to try to teach them, you know, effective natural family planning. I mean, these are women who are coming to my class who want to know more about their bodies. And they, they, they become so empowered with the knowledge of how their bodies work, and then they can start making good choices, you know, but, but rather our culture tells women and girls this lie that we are victims of our physiology rather than our our ability to be stewards of it and actually make choices on the front end without having to take the life of a newly created human being who we have participated in creating. Right. You make such a good point, Fran, and I know I probably am going off on tangents, But you would think that someone who claims to be a feminist, who wants to be strong and independent and Mm -hmm. the it's such a, to me, a cowardly choice, especially at the elevation of the, of a Michelle Williams, it's Mm -hmm. such a not strong. It's, it's, it's not coming from a place of strength or of, um, to, to me, I feel like a, a true feminist would be like, yeah, I'm going to have that baby and I'm going to yeah. win the Golden Globes and yeah. I'm going to, you know, like I can do it all. Like my parents always told me I can do anything I put my mind to. Like where are these parents t- saying you've got to make choices and you've got to, um, you know, you can't have kids until you're 60 years old because you won't be able to live the life you want. I mean, it to me, it's such a weak argument for a true feminist. I just... Well- it's the opposite of classical feminism. I mean, right. true feminists, we're about hope and empowerment in the face of obstacles, whether they be biological, political, or whatever they are. You know, we're about the rights of women, all women, yes, but not as a function of a fear, you know, that, that, we, that, that we would then have to become someone that we're not, namely, not pregnant. Yeah. Not, or, or have no ability to be pregnant. It's a woman. <laughs> yes. Exactly. It's it's so sad. And just, I mean, Tracy, I loved where you were going about, you know, she's basically by saying this, buying into this culture that denies true women empowerment, number one, because she's saying that our success is, as women is often, if not always, in opposition to the life of a child in our womb. And what an absolute disregard for these women of strength and conviction throughout history who have done everything, who have continued to succeed and achieve all the while accepting the natural consequences of their sexual behaviors. Exactly. Yeah. Hell, I mean, look at how many children did Queen Victoria have? She was like a child when she became queen, yet she had baby after baby after baby. And really, unless you go back and you look at history, you don't realize how many children she actually had. You remember her as this strong, amazing kind of monarch, mm-hmm. um, especially in a time when women could not, you know, didn't have power. She was powerful. And, and it wasn't, um, in spite of having children, it wasn't, you know, her children did not hold her back from being, um, being a powerful woman. 
Yeah. And I think that we do know intuitively as women, whether we have carried babies in our wombs or whether we are just women and and mothers uh, by virtue of another way, we know that motherhood requires sacrifice. We're not ignorant of that fact, right? We know that when you make the choice to carry a baby to term, when you make the choice to bring a baby up in your home, you're going to have to say no to some things and yes to some things. I mean, Michelle Williams even says that inevitably the the scales are going to have to tip. I think that's the language that she uses. So apparently she does hold the idea that personal sacrifices matter, but what is so insidious to me is that they only matter for her when they are in her own self-interest. Which she says directly, right? She has this weird contradictory. You listen to the whole speech and you get so confused by the end because she holds all these contradictions at the same time, one of which is pro-woman and pro-abortion, which can't happen. But the other one, she says, she says the words that, yes, um, when I felt supported and able to balance our lives, knowing as all mothers know that the scales must and will tip towards our children. Mm -hmm. And mere sentences later, she says, please vote in your own self-interest, which is not what mothers are. We do not do things in self-interest. It's always tipped towards Sorry, yeah. the children. No, no, no. I think I think we're like thinking on top of each other here. Like, <laughs> yeah. is this really the messaging that she even really wanted? I don't think so. No, I don't think so either. I think what I hurt. saw. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you for saying that. She is hurt because I think that that's an important part of this. I don't know that Michelle Williams actually believes what she's saying. Or, or she may have to believe it in order in, in a survival sort of way because post-abortive women, if indeed she had an abortion under any circumstance, are wounded. Right. And they need affirmation and they need confirmation that the choice they made was the right one. And they seek applause wherever they can get it. And she just happened to have a stage full of people who were super happy to to, to give her applause. You know, if nothing else because they felt like they had to. Right. That's kind yeah. of something you have to buy into to be in that career or you're not allowed to be in that career. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine someone coming up and giving a pro-life speech in front of that group? Like that's what courage would have looked like. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That would have been a strong woman who could stand up, the Patricia Heatons of the world who can actually stand up and, you know, um, stand for something that is countercultural in their industry. And and like what you said, Fran, I mean, they are, she is hurting. She's obviously hurting. Um, And and all women who have had abortion, I know I always quote Mother Teresa, but I, I feel like it was her that said something to the effect of, it's, there's several, you know, several wounds, the wound against the mother, the wound against the child, like the mother is wounded in an abortion. And the beauty of salvation and, and Jesus is that women can heal. I mean, post-abortive women can heal, but I feel like in, in the, you know, Chelsea handlers of the world who are really proud of their abortions and the Michelle Williams of the world, they have not healed. Like it is so obvious the hurt and the, the despair. And like you said, they're, they, they have to take it to a platform for the applause, for the affirmations, because they're, they're dying inside. That's well, the entire shout the abortion movement, right? Yeah, Is exactly. I have this gaping wound and I can band-aid it by getting your validation. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And we don't do that about other things that we feel so strongly are the right choice. Like, you know, I chose to potty train my three-year-old, and so I'm going to get on a platform <laughs> and tell everybody. I mean, that, that's a, it's, it's, a, it's a really yeah. funny thing to say. But, like, when we know that we've done something right, we don't need to keep going out there and saying, look at all the good things that I did. Look at this right thing that I did. But when we feel like something is controversial, when we feel like people might judge us, that's when we start looking for accolades and affirmation. And I feel like that's what she did. And, and with this speech and on this platform, and it was indeed in her own self-interest, maybe not even in the way she thought it was going to be, um, you know, taking that that messaging of self-interest, it's like the ultimate in the you do you movement as oh, well, yeah. which is yeah. line. that is my least favorite phrase that's popular. <laughs> well, it's the tyranny of relativism. That's mm-hmm. what it is. And it, it's destroying our culture because it's another big lie, right? And what I think was so funny to me is like, of course, when she said, you know, vote in your own self-interest, it got huge applause from actually a very unlikely audience. Because had the subject matter been about almost anything else about self-interest, they would have been aghast, you right. know, because we don't actually believe in, in radical universal self-interest. Right. right. Because, because she would not be shopping with 
um, reusable shopping bags if she was worried about her self-interest. I mean, so you're, you're so right. It it was really such a lie (laughs) because the, the audience she's speaking to is, you know, they're pro earth, they're pro, um, world. Mm -hmm. So, however, as I'm saying this, I'm picturing them all in their private jets. So maybe that's not even a good (laughs) example. But certainly the political leanings that seem to be present in Hollywood tend to be more um, oriented towards utilizing the government to help the poor, the marginalized. They talk about privilege and things and all of those things, right? Acknowledging privilege requires not acting in self-interest. Yes. So it's fundamentally contradictory to everything else that she purportedly believes. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, I think about the arguments about other things, like, again, I don't want to go down roads about immigration, but I mean, it's the same thing. Like, you know, we can talk about immigration or at least at the very least the treatment of those who enter our country illegally. Right. Even if we differ on our policies about immigration, when they get here, you know, what, what, how do we treat these people? Right. Cause they exist now and they're here. They're, they're in our country. Right. They're, they are in a, in a way in our womb. So what do we do with them? Yeah. You know, and an argument can be very easily made and it's made quite often because we have an enormous economic deficit that people say that when people enter our country illegally, they are a, drain. The language is used. They are a drain on our resources. They take things from us that belong to us and they make us suffer, right? So allowing these undocumented immigrants to freely use our expensive public services like our education and our health or you name it can actually be argued against in a case of self-interest. Right. And, and, yet, and yet we don't vote that way all the time. And even regardless of how we're voting, like on any given policy, we don't actually really, I mean, really, believe really believe it. Yes. Right. You know, because we acknowledge the needs and the inherent dignity of other human beings above our own self-interest, especially when they are weaker than us. Because love, the definition, right, is to will the good of the other. Love is opposed to pure self-interest. It's so weird. It's so so weird. weird. It it is a weird like blindness that there's just these blind spots and they can't see how like Michelle, for instance, can't see how what she's saying doesn't match or click with anything else that anyone of decent character should believe. It's just so inconsistent. But I do want to back up a little bit because I think we kind of moved over one of the things I wanted to talk about um, and touch on the statement that she made right before she had that rallying call for self-interest. And she said, uh, quote, thank God or whomever you pray to that we live in a country founded on the principle that I'm free to live by my faith and you are free to live by yours. Is that true? <laughs> I mean, let, let, let's deal with it. Let's deal what, with it. Explain what you're explain where you're coming from. I mean, well, I mean, I'm just going to give myself away here. It's actually I think it's a lie. We don't actually live in a country founded on the principle that I'm free to live by my faith and you're free to live by your faith. Yes, we have the freedom of religion that's afforded to us constitutionally by the First Amendment. But that doesn't actually hold the principle that I can do anything I want according to my faith. And it's okay. because here's the deal. Historically speaking, back to the British British monarchy, you know, they actually believed in something called divine right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As Americans, we don't actually acknowledge that as an as a as a as a legitimate um, exercise of faith anymore because we're well, Americans. And don't don't tell the little sisters of the poor that they can live their faith how they yeah. want. Yeah, I yeah. mean, there's we're fighting it to the Supreme Court on on many issues that totally affect our faith and our you know. Um, part of our faith as far as, um, you know, family and tell the Catholic doctor or the Catholic nurse who's forced to help perform an abortion. I mean, you make a good point, Fran. I, I see what you're saying now. Well, and, you know, I don't think Michelle Williams is a constitutional attorney. I'm not. Tracy, you're not. Forrest, <laughs> no. you're not. No. You know, so we don't want to get too we don't want to get too much in the weeds about what is or is not meant by the freedom of religion. But what I think we do know is that we that no one here is absolutely free in this country to live by our own faith. Again, it's going back to that. You do you. I'll do me. And we're, we're like that's That's anarchy at its very worst. You know, <laughs> if you if you if you follow that to its logical extension, that's what that looks like, because we do, in fact, have laws that in fringe on some people's exercise of their faith and we're totally fine with it like it makes sense to us for instance certain islamic sects like um 
uh, those who follow strict like Sharia law. law. Yes, exactly. You know, they don't have a place in our country. Absolutely. You know, they deny the autonomy of women, if not their full personhood, you know, under their interpretation of their faith in the Quran. You know, the women in their cultures don't get to enjoy full rights and protections in areas of work, travel. I mean, a holy host of things. They're subject they're subject to beating corporal punishment at the hands of their male dominated uh, counterparts. And all of this is in the name of faith. Honor killing is in the name mm-hmm. of faith. Mm-hmm. And I hope we would never allow that exercise of faith here in this country because we're not based on the principle that everybody gets to do what they want as long as it's according to your faith. We're actually right. on the principle that we have been given inherent dignity by our creator and we have responsibility to uphold the dignity of other human beings. And, and I guess I don't want to get too historical here, but let's talk about slavery in that regard, too. <laughs> like, there were I a mean, lot of religious um, uh, justifications made totally. to allow slavery. Yeah. And Christians well, even came on both sides of the subject. Well, and, and it just, it falls back also, not necessarily faith related, just because something's legal does not mean it's right. Mm-hmm. And history will, you know, I think prove that yeah. how many lives lost to abortion. I mean, slavery was evil and horrible and awful and terrible, but it was legal. Yeah. And a lot of people said, well, it's legal so I can do it or, you know, you can do it or just, or whatever the case. And j- so again, just because it's legal doesn't mean it it's moral and doesn't mean that you should be proud of of employing your right to choose or you know proud of having your slaves i mean it's just it's just ick it's so ick it's so gross and you know the abolition of slavery i think and i think we all agree was on the right side of history 110 percent Again, even though American Christians, you know, defended their ownership of slaves uh, using their faith or opposed slavery using their faith, we know that slavery is wrong. It's wrongheaded. It's evil. It's completely unacceptable. You know, it denies the personhood of human beings of color. And I hope and I think that in the pro-life movement in time, when we understand it in its fullness and we really start to recognize the dignity of every human person, we're going to be on the right side of history, too. Yeah. Well, and the, the advancements that they've made with um, medical technology and ultrasounds and the 3D technology that they have in ultrasounds. I mean, I just, I, I'm so sad that, that Roe v. Wade was during a time where we didn't have those advancements. Yes, and, and, right. and our medical knowledge was maybe much more crass than it is now. Mm-hmm. Because surely, surely anyone with a beating heart and a soul could not look at these images and think, yeah, you can, you can just in that, you know, mm-hmm. um, you, you can, you can late term abortions, whatever. I mean, I just, I it's just a choice. It's just a choice. Yeah. Yeah. Like what color cells. shirt I'm going to wear. Yeah. 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 You'll, you'll, you'll be fine. You'll move on. Um, and I do wish that more, um, you know, that there were better laws and to, mm-hmm. to, make abortion facilities show mothers a picture of their baby. You know, even just that technology that's come out and and, and kind of the push to have ultrasounds and, and, you know, maybe pro-life organizations near um, abortion clinics who have been able to show a mom a picture of her baby. Um, it's It has saved so many lives. Mm-hmm. I just, I hope that we can um, just double down those efforts until abortion is just unthinkable because it's unthinkable. Even there, it's so ironic that, um, you know, we have we ha- th- those states who have abortion um, laws where women are required to be informed of what abortion is and does and actually see their babies um, on on ultrasound, that we have, you know, the, the pro- pro-abortion lobby saying, oh, no, 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 that's a dangerous law. That's a very dangerous law, even though it's really about education. You know, it's about empowering women to make decisions based based on information and yet this this pro woman lobby supposedly is against informing and educating women like that's completely asinine it's just it's so weird <laughs> it is it's the antithesis of of pro women yeah it yeah. is the opposite of a, you know pro pro woman to be pro woman you want the best education lots of opportunities a woman to be able to make good decisions. And, and how can you make a good decision if you're not educated? <laughs> yeah. 
yeah. on what you're really doing and, yeah. and, you know, the, the face that you're, um, ending. Yeah. The last yeah. point of her speech that kind of stuck out to me, and I don't know if it did to you guys too, was her remark kind of near the end of her speech where she's telling us to, again, kind of vote in our own self-interest. And she says, you know, it's what men have been doing for years. Oh, what does that even so, mean? It was so gross to me because this is what I think it means. And and this this would be my response to it. So what? So what if men have been doing the wrong thing for years? Because as as real feminists, we hold as our basic premise that what some men have been doing all along ha- have been unethical, immoral, ignorant, completely ignorant of the inherent worth of other human beings, including women. So what she's saying is they did it. So we can too, basically, mm-hmm. you know, right. and, and I think that, that this is where strong pro-life feminists can have like the biggest impact on the conversation, because if we have power, you know, if we vote ourselves into power, let's say, because she says that we're the biggest voting block. Um, and, and if we've been given this power, that's not historically ours, then what is actually our responsibility? Certainly not self-interest. Yeah, exactly. What gets my goat is the assumption that men are pro, pro, pro life, mm-hmm. and women should be pro choice. Exactly. Yeah. Like she assumes that the whole woman, you know, female voting block is going to um, defend mm-hmm. uh, abortion, and the fact of the matter is that's just not the case. Mm-hmm. The fact of the matter is many women, yes, many women who I would like to say are ill-informed and um, who are on the wrong side of history are pro-choice. But I mean, so many women are pro-life and so many young people are pro-life. Mm-hmm. So pushing young people to vote and vote and be progressive and blah, blah, blah. I feel like the millennials and that's all the quotes and the statistics they always say millennials are really pro-life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is yeah. that what you've, is that what you, your sense? I mean, I'm not a millennial. Yeah. <laughs> My experience <laughs> is certainly that millennials are more pro-life than previous generations. And part of that is exposure to better technology and better yeah. science. But Reasonable. what I've noticed a fundamental difference is between millennial arguments that are pro-choice and other generations arguments that are pro-choice is that other generations will use phrases like, well, it's just a clump of cells and stuff like that. A lot of millennials, especially those who have been like college educated, don't even go there because it isn't true. And usually they're also arguing for later term abortions when we know it's not a clump. Right. They'll just say female autonomy is the whole argument. And it's frankly really weak because what if I mean, if we if we're going to be men haters. Right. And we're going to like who cares about baby boys. But like (laughs) at the very least, there may be a woman in there. Right. Right. So what about that female autonomy? Right. 50% of the time there is and more times than not, you know, they say, I I guess the statistic I've seen is that, uh, babies, a babies of color and also female babies are aborted at such a higher rate. Mm -hmm. And so again, it's just vomits in the face of feminism. Like where are you standing up for these little baby women? Like, Don't they deserve life? Yeah. Don't, don't, don't they deserve a family? Don't they deserve a chance at, you know, making the world a better place? Yeah. Like if you're so confident in women and women's, you know, intellectual and, um, you know, prowess and, and all the things that they claim, which those aren't bad things, but then put your money where your mouth is Mm -hmm. to me. That's my opinion. Well, and I would say as women that I'm so sorry for us, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, especially with children of color, because disproportionately organizations like Planned Parenthood are in low income areas, which makes sense because that's the people who are right. You can look at it two ways. They would say the people were helping. Right. uh, But more accurately, the people that were eliminating were sterilizing. Right. Um, Which is fundamentally like a white supremacist approach that people of. In fact, Margaret Sanger talked about this. Right. Absolutely. That they were weeds that needed to be weeded out. Like, how is this? And it's not free. So you're not really helping people if you're giving them a service that costs an arm and a leg. Like they're they're three hundred three hundred dollars. Yeah. And that's for their, you know early, early, early on, you know, conceptions. That is not kind of their, their bread and butter even. 
Fran, what were you going to say? Well, I was just going to challenge the idea. I think that, you know, we, we, we do have power and we should we, we actually should take up her her challenge to make the world look more like us. But what does that actually look like? Because we as women do know actually what it feels like to be overlooked, to be subjugated, to be uh, discarded. Um, you know, we, we have that experience. Right. Right. And so what do you do with that? Like for me, when we become for me, when I have a bad experience, I become empathetic to mm-hmm. other people having that same experience. So we should have empathy for our sisters and our brothers in the womb who are also discarded and overlooked in their humanity at the whim of other people, because that's what we've been told for, you know, for years and years that men do to us. Right. And I don't Mm want to get on the like men, bad women, good train, but like I do have a very feminist heart and I do recognize that many men historically have abused and used women for their own devices. That's why we had the Me Too movement. Right. 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 That's why we had women finally coming out and saying, you know, I. I am being coerced and into to behaving in this way because this man told me if I didn't do A, B, and C, I wasn't going to achieve anything. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we're, now we have the opportunity to tell our girls and 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 other women, you don't have to do A, B, and C to achieve. Right. You know, you you're valuable. You're right. worthy because you're a human being, and your capacity to carry another human being in your womb is a gift that that a lot of women don't get. Also. Yeah. also. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it, you know, do we change <laughs> do we change the the culture? Again, I'm all about making the culture look more like us in in the sense of making it look more like people who actually see people of color and women and the mentally and physically impaired people, you know, the sick, you know, the, the people who are chronically ill or dying, you know, mm-hmm. the poor and even the unborn. I, I am 100% good with changing the world to a society that looks like us and recognizing that they have value apart from my self-interest. Right. That's beautiful, Fran. I don't, I, I, I can't even say anything. I would actually like to get you two ladies in a conversation. We should invite Michelle Williams on, <laughs> on our colloquium. You can love, get her. <laughs> I would just love to have this conversation with, um, you know, women who maybe feel differently because I just feel like, Gosh, if you could look at it from a different perspective of not um, kind of the brainwash drinking Kool-Aid um, perspective, you'd see how, in my opinion, your arguments are so flawed, mm-hmm. you know. And I think what y'all just did in, you know, kind of our conversation today really just laid that out so beautifully. Well, I think, too, we need to be smart about the language we use. Yeah. For and sure. the approach we take, I don't think that it's um, helpful to the to the conversation to call people who have um, procured an abortion for themselves baby killers. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think that language is at all useful at all because these are these are wounded women, yeah. and these are dead babies. Yep. And um, and you know, in a perfect world, no woman would have the fear that that carrying a baby to full term would would negatively impact her in the long term. Well, and that's precisely it. I used to work at a crisis pregnancy yes. center where I started yeah. my career and we did not see women come in who were abortion minded who were empowered to choose abortion. They right. were petrified. It was yeah. always fear that drove their decisions and our whole job was to offer them hope. Yeah. And so we cannot, when we interact with people who are pro-choice, many of whom are staunchly pro-choice because of a decision they've made that perhaps they regret or hurt that they have. And we can't, like you said, approach them and say, oh, you're a murderer or you will be if you make this decision. Yeah. And we also can't right. prey on that fear when mm-hmm. what we need to do is deliver hope because that's what pro-life is about. Right. Amen. Amen, sister. And again, just looping back to Michelle Williams and making the world look more like us. Wouldn't it be awesome if the world looked like people who actually acknowledged the goodness and truth and beauty of a humanity that doesn't act in our own self-interest, but, you know, that that were actually people who have compassion and empathy and and the desire to bring that hope? Because, I mean, we are our brother's keepers. Like, that's that's Christianity, y'all. 
You know, that's, <laughs> that's what this is about. Yeah. And, you know, to, to work in, again, there's so much about what she said that is just sad to me. It's just sad. I see a broken, sad woman who has achieved great things, even in her brokenness. And I can only imagine that had she had the experience of the self-sacrifice and brought her baby to, to life, what greater things she would have achieved and what richer fullness she would have had by virtue of knowing that baby. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I'll applaud that. I will applaud that. This was good, y'all. I this feel like it was somewhat cathartic. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a good um it's a good time that we're talking about this because we are in the season of pro life, you know, marches. And I know ours, I think Denver, y'all had y'all's last weekend, right? Yeah, something like I, I don't know so. if it was a march march, but it was definitely at the state capitol and, and yeah. stuff like that. And then we're doing ours here in Arizona this weekend and Abby Johnson is speaking. Wow. So the famous um yeah, the the unplanned the the lady who wrote um the unplanned story um based on her experience. So everyone's really excited here. I know my teenagers want to go see her, so I'm excited that they'll have that opportunity and I'm just excited that we are raising a pro-life generation. Yeah. The, the, the scare tactics, the, you can't achieve. I think that's an old line from the past that I feel like we can, we can move away with each generation. And I feel like, like you said, with better technology and good science, uh, we can raise women to, to really be true feminists and to embrace their feminine genius, like absolutely the genius of their feminine femininity. Yeah. And honestly, Tracy, I don't think it's, I mean, I'm glad that you're happy. There's a pro-life generation being raised up, but it doesn't surprise me because truth will always, and this is improperly quoted to Augustine. It's not actually his, but truth will always defend itself. And the more we see the technology, the more we hear the experiences of women, the more obvious it's becoming. The pro-choice argument that that side has its days numbered because reality will always win out. And the reality is this is harmful and the babies are real and the babies deserve life. And this is not how it was created to be. Therefore, it will ultimately not be. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. Yep. I love it. I love it. Okay. So Forrest, we do in our podcast, Last Little Bits, where we just talk about stuff that does, it doesn't necessarily have to be something that we've talked about today. It can be related to it, but um, just something that we kind of throw out there at the end as sort of our swan song at the end of the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> um, so Tracy and I tend to go first because we usually have something prepared and our guests are sometimes surprised that they have to like, <laughs> we don't have to actually. You could be like, no, my last little bit is by all. But uh, do, why do we want to do this? Do you have something prepared or would you like for Tracy and I to go first? You should go first because I'm still awesome. unclear okay. on what the last little bit is. <laughs> oh, great. Okay, good. Oh, really? So uh, my last little bit was going to be, I wanted to talk about and toot the horn of Abby Johnson being here, but I'm going to digress. So that, that really was kind of what I had in mind. Um, so my last little bit is going to be that my eldest is on a Kairos retreat as we speak. And I am so excited for her. Um, for those of you who don't know what Kairos is, it's, it's like Curcio. So if you know what Curcio is, it's a, it's a really intense retreat, um, for adults. Um, I remember when my parents went on Curcio, they were always devout Catholics, but they came home really visibly changed and like on fire for their faith. And, um, and so this is kind of, um, Curcio, but for teens. So it's called Kairos. And, uh, she left last night and she gets back Friday and she's really excited. You have to apply to go and they pick so many people and she was nervous and, and then got excited. Um, once we finally got to the school, um, for drop off, but they say when they come back, they're on a Kai high because <laughs> they're so like <laughs> in love with Jesus and everything. So I'm, we're, I'm just expectant for kind of what she's doing right now and, and what I'm going to get to the report I'll get, uh, this weekend. So, oh, that's yeah. beautiful. I know. Oh, I know. I'm so excited. Um, I would say my last little bit is, um, I was thinking about this when I was taking a kid to school, um, it, it just kind of thinking about what we were going to talk about today. And something that I find really effective and challenging kind of the, the, the cultural um, debate on abortion specifically is really trying to engage their, their, um, best arguments, you know, not building up straw men to tear them down and be like, I won that, but like mm -hmm. actually consider how, what they are saying and, and, you know, th the value and the weight of the argument and, um, two, two 
resources that I have recently, well, one isn't so recent, but one is very recent, have employed to um, kind of not do the reverse, but to kind of solidify my understanding of our defense of the abortion argument are um, an interview that Matt Frad did with Stephanie Gray, who is a genius of the feminine genius um, <laughs> line. She, um, I, I've listened to this with uh, two of my children. My husband's listened to it by himself. And then I'm have uh, one of my, cho- one of my children's actually, well, two of my kids are going to the March for Life in DC next week. And one of my kids is like, I'm listening to it on the way. I'm going to get pumped. <laughs> it is like a two and a half hour interview on the Matt Frad show. I think it's like episode nine with Stephanie Gray. If you want to know what the strongest arguments are in favor of, of abortion and how to think about them, this will, it'll, it'll do it for you. It's fantastic. I cannot recommend it enough. And then second, my second recommendation is a book called Defending Life by Francis Beckwith. And he just does an excellent job of presenting the pro-life case in a non-religious way, which I think is highly effective as well, especially to, to millennials yeah. who, you know, I mean, we, we were struggling with this phenomena of the nuns where millennials, you yeah. know, are not identifying as being religious at all. Um, and so being able to appeal to their sensibilities and in a way outside of the, an appeal to faith, I think is important. So again, the book is Defending Life by Francis Beckwith and the, the video, you can actually listen to it on a podcast if you don't watch videos via YouTube, but it's the Matt Frad show episode nine with Stephanie Gray. That's my last little bit. Love it. Well, my last tidbit goes back to us talking about how women, not just young girls, but women don't know about their bodies and, and how knowledge, right. Is pro woman. Knowledge is, is the step towards truth that sets you free. Um, I just want to like, encourage anybody who hasn't considered charting their cycles to do so. Um, I'm married now, so I practice NFP, but five years before I even got engaged, I was already charting. And that was a nerdy thing because I think it's interesting. (laughs) Um, But we ultimately found a bunch of um, hormonal and health problems that during the year of our engagement, I was able to go get tested and and take care of. um, And like we're struggling with fertility, but I can see where it's coming from and therefore we can treat the cause. But even for those that are lucky enough to be healthy, um, knowing your body, especially just like this rhythm of your cycle, which is so standard and so blah, but also so incredible and unbelievable gives you such respect for what it means to be a woman and how fundamentally different that makes you from being a man. And that's not lesser. It's as good as, and in some ways stronger and better, right? The differences have these different strengths and charting is just, not only is it good for your health, but it's just such a good way to really embrace who you are and all the little quirks that make you, you and the feminine genius that is printed into your body, not just your soul. Amen. Beautiful. I love it. Thank you so (laughs) much for us. This has been a blast. Pleasure. It's been awesome to be here. Come back soon. Don't be a stranger. Okay. (laughs) All righty. Thank you. Bye, y'all. Bye. Thanks for joining us today on Bellator Colloquium. Please look for Bellator Society on everything social, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And if you like what we're doing here on this podcast, we would love for you to share that with us. Rate us on iTunes to help us get the word out and share, share, share. We cannot wait to chat next time right here on Bellator Colloquium, the conversation for online warriors for the true, good, and beautiful.